Welcome to Swapping Paint, the podcast that rubs doors with the cream of the crop in motorsport today. With your host, 18 times Australian champion, Dave Sarah. This week's guest is our second Formula One driver to join us on the Swapping Paint Show. Nicholas Latifi has joined the Williams Formula One team for the 2020 and 2021 seasons. Nicholas chats to us about how he started in cards and how he was on the podiums to begin with. From there, his attention spanned to a racing career in Europe where he went through the Formula Ladder of Formula 4, Formula 3 and Formula 2 before gaining an opportunity to join the grid alongside drivers he once looked up to. We thank Nicholas, Steve Webb and the Williams Formula 1 team for allowing this interview to take place. I hope you join the show. Nicholas, how are you, buddy? Hey, David, I'm all good. Can you hear me good? Yeah, mate, I can hear you fine. Hey, um, hey, thanks very much for uh, for taking the time out of your busy. I see your busy eye racing or you know your esports yeah. program. <laughs> How's all that going for you? Yeah, it's uh, taking up quite a lot of my time actually. Uh, yeah, I've had a home sim for quite a while, uh, but I'm just I'm, I'm always away. I'm always in, in Europe, and uh, yeah, now seems like the perfect time that I'm you know back home in Canada. Plenty of time to kill and. Yeah, just trying to keep sharp on it. <laughs> it's funny how, like, uh, even with our Australian guys, at the start it was sort of a lot of fun for people, but now they're taking it very competitively. And, uh, you know, we're starting to see a few sort of incidents taking place that everyone's <laughs> everyone's taking it more seriously because they're competitive nature. Obviously, you um, you get excited when you're in the eSports stuff. When did you first become involved in motorsport? Like, when did you sort of get that that real buzz for, for karting or motorsport? So I had a very uh, unconventional route into motorsport. Uh, I The first time I ever drove uh, any kind of car, so just like an arrive and drive rental car, was when I was 12 years old. Uh, so yeah, very, very late to kind of try it. Uh, because I didn't come from a motor racing family, uh, my my parents, or my, I guess it would be mainly the, the father that would kind of Put, yeah, push the that way. Kid, put, put the kid into it if they came yes. from racing or they raced before uh it wasn't the case for me so just by by fluke really i happened to uh go to a go-kart track one weekend with some of my family and cousins just to make a weekend out of it and uh yeah, yeah i really took a strong liking to it was was quite quick and competitive considering i had never driven one before and uh yeah i basically told my dad i wanted to find a place near uh, around our house because this was uh, in, in montreal uh, i live in toronto that uh, to go and yet yeah, basically long story short the um, the person who owned the track that we ended up going to uh, used to race cars professionally at a very high level and he was coaching at the time he saw some talent in me uh, convinced me to start racing and uh, tried it the rest is history <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome so you're saying like i'm thinking that you've started at 13 people before you've been racing for maybe three or four years before you did it sort of take you a little bit of time to get into the groove or did you sort of find your feet quite early on and, and you're competitive straight away? No, no, it definitely took a long, long time, probably longer than I would have wanted to. Um, yeah, I mean, the, let's say I think the, the average age, let's say the starter is around probably like eight or nine years old. I mean, yes. you have those e- extreme cases. Uh, a lot of the I mean, top guys in F1, you have like Ocon, Verstappen. The they they, they were five or four, four, Yeah, four yeah. or five years old. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of track time and uh, an experience I had to try and, and make up. And, you know, definitely when I started in karting, I'm thir- at 13 years old in the junior category. Uh, like like you said, you're racing against people that have been doing it for five five yeah, more plus know. years than you. So uh, yeah, it, it was very it was very difficult at, at the beginning. I mean, I was coming coming into it thinking you know I was I was good and uh, I was going to be yeah. getting some <laughs> going to be getting some good results. And they obviously they they just didn't come. I mean, it's not because I was a I was a bad driver. It's just I, like realistic experience and that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. It just wasn't realistic. I think they were going to come. So I really had to 
uh, yeah, it, it took me time to get the results I, I was wanting to achieve, which is obviously winning and getting podiums and things like that. But I really had to learn kind of in a, in a different way, uh, more kind of a theoretical part of driving kind of on paper uh, as opposed to just learning it all by feel and just what happens when you start at that yeah, young of an age <laughs> i know and like you said sometimes people are visual sometimes people you know like to draw things out however they, they watch videos whatever it may be things um you know, can learn differently as a kid growing up who are you sort of looking up to so i mean in the racing world uh, I, to be honest i never really had one specific racing idol uh I mean, when I was a kid, before I even started racing, uh, I mean, I always used to go to the uh, Montreal Grand Prix. We always yep. make a big family weekend out of it. And, uh, you know, at, at that time for for me, my whole family was kind of Ferrari. So it was uh, Schumacher was still <laughs> driving at the time. So th- that's kind of who we, we cheered for. But, you know, once I kind of got into r- racing myself more and really took more of an interest to, to follow Formula yep. One and, you know, learn more about the drivers, um, you know, for me, there was the, the three drivers that stood out to me that, uh, you know, to this day, there's still things that I would, you know, love to try and emulate throughout my career. Would still be, you know, Schumacher. I mean, just the consistency, you know, sure. what he accomplished, you know, seven world championships, kind of goes without saying. And then the other two are uh, Hamilton and, and Alonso. I mean, uh, Hamilton, again, kind of speaks for itself. I mean, just the raw pace, he's probably going to break Schumacher's record. I mean, he's already broke so many records he's along crazy, the way. He? And, uh, and Alonso, I mean, he's, uh, you know, he had that, has that reputation of, you know, always kind of extracting the best from the car, even when, you know, the car wasn't capable of, uh, of competing. It wasn't just on the pace. And I think that's a very important skill to have in, in racing in general, not just Formula One, where, where you know, the equipment's not always going to be uh, perfect. It's not always going to be to your liking. Uh, you, you might be just flat out at a disadvantage because you, you is, don't have yeah, as good equipment and, right. and you still, ha- yeah, and you still have to try and, uh, you know, take it, take it uh, to the maximum it can be and get the maximum performance out of it. And I think he was very good at doing that. It's important for kids to learn that as well. Like you've got to be versatile. You've got to be able to adapt to um, <clears throat> different conditions, different, uh, you know, different karting or car racing stuff along the way. You can't always have the best equipment handed to you. So I think that's important to have that, um, that fighting spirit as well, to always give 100% because you just never know what could open up from that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, motor racing is uh, is such an unpredictable world, and uh, you know you, you have to be ready to, you know, kind of in the spur of the moment take take certain opportunities. And again, whether you're in a situation where you have the best equipment and it's yep. kind of things are just going smooth sailing and it's kind of just Head business disease. as usual, or yeah. you know you're having to fight for you know every single hundredth just to keep with a pack of guys in front of you and you're <laughs> doing everything you can and you're pulling weight. You just you always got to try and be be on it and just make make the most of it. So you finished your karting career. You won the Florida Winter Tour in 2011. Then you went on to, you know, wing race in Canada. And you're also in the front row at the 2011 Rotax World Finals because I recall watching you and Pierre-Luc in DD2. Yeah. I was actually in, uh, in Rotax scene at the time. And, uh, and obviously, since then, we've both taken different career paths. You've gone to Formula 1. I'm a retired kart racer. But that, look, that's okay. <laughs> so when you've moved to Formula 3... Um, how hard is it going from being a race winner and competitive all the time to then having to find your feet in a new category and just sort of working back up towards the front? Yeah, it was a very difficult step to make. Uh, I mean, I think in general, whenever you make the step from carts to cars, uh, there's always a lot of new skill sets you have to learn. I think what didn't make it easier uh, for me as well was that, I mean, kind of like what I did in karting that I kind of just jumped into a category, category, into into junior. Uh, I mean, I I really did skip 
skip a category in car racing as well. And it, it was just because we didn't really have um, someone to, to guide me and like, kind of my family and my team into yeah. what would be the, the best first category to drive. And so, I mean, ideally, I would have benefited from doing a year of uh, Formula Renault 2 liters or a Formula Abarth. Now there's Formula 4, but there wasn't Formula okay. 4 back then. Um, so, again, I was jumping into a category where, you know, my motorsport experience is still down, but then car racing experience yeah. is still is still even more down. So, uh, yeah, it's, it was difficult to adjust. And it kind of like the same thing when I joined karting. I mean, it, it took quite a while to, to be competitive and gain some consistency. Uh, I mean, and it's still really up until... I mean, up until 2018, I'm, I'm, I mean, anytime you drive, you step foot on the track, you're, you're learning something. But still up until 2018, I was having uh, some big issues with, you know, not being able to to adapt to different equipment that I had. And uh, I mean, still improving as a driver uh, every day, really. And uh, yeah, every time I uh, I set, set a lap, you try and learn something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it just comes, uh, you know, you just got to like kind of buckle down, hard work, you know, not not give up, keep keep the focus, and uh, it just, for me, came very slowly. No, that's okay. Um, I saw a question just pop up. It said, if you weren't racing, what would Nicholas Latifi be doing? So, if I wasn't a racing driver, um, so, I mean, before I got into racing, uh, I mean, I was planning to obviously just kind of finish my, my school and uh, go to university. I was very yep. interested in business studies, okay. so I was probably going to yeah, study business in university uh, and probably just join joined the family business that's what i kind of was uh was set on before racing took over my life you can always go back to that after after your career yeah. finishes in Formula One. exactly that, that's kind of what the deal i had with my dad i said if it doesn't work out i mean i have my whole life to go to university uh, exactly exactly uh, but yeah now at what stage yeah. during your former car career were you sort of dreaming and thinking that formula one is a possibility so i mean as soon as I tried my first uh, year in cars, I mean, already the kind of mind was set that you know Formula One, uh, Formula One is the goal, and that's kind of why I moved over to, to race in Europe straight away from straight out of cars. So that was in, in yes. 2012 was my first year uh, in cars. It was also my last year of of cars as well. I, I did a full season of cars and cars because. I mean, I guess kind of going back to what we were talking about before, I was just starting to win and get competitive in cars. <laughs> I mean, that, that, yeah, yeah that I didn't want to give it up. So I, I was like starting to enjoy it so much. And I'm like, okay, no, my first year of cars, I also still want to do karting, <laughs> which is, uh, yeah, very unconventional as well. But uh, yeah, so um, yeah, I, I kind of, my mind was set on Formula One and that's why I moved over to Europe. But I would say it probably didn't um, materialize in my head that I knew like internally that in, inside I, I i felt i was capable of doing it probably yep. not until my my 20 my 2017 season uh, in gp2 on uh, formula 2 because yep. that was the year where i was really like getting consistent results and top junior championship like yeah, yeah. right below formula one so a lot of fast guys racing against and yeah we're just consistently on the podium consistently at the front and had a really good year but then uh, that's not to say that there still wasn't moments after that where you know i thought okay well this this might not happen like, like i said in 2018 i had a, a disaster of a year in the first three quarters of it first half of it let's say and uh, and i wasn't sure that it was going to be possible but then i kind of you know Knuckle like we're down. talking about how knuckle down had to change my whole approach from the mental side but also from the driving side i had to learn completely new driving style to to get on top of the new formula 2 car and um yeah started getting the results back and then the confidence came back again like you know what no i'm, I'm running back at the front i am I am good enough for this and then yeah my year last year in formula 2 kind of just uh, solidified that for me 
That's awesome. How important is it to have a great teammate, like to, to be able to push you along as well? So you're both working towards an end goal. Obviously, you're going to compete against your teammate, you know, as hard as you possibly can. But how important is it to have a strong teammate so that, you know, you're both in that right direction? Yeah, I think having a strong teammate is uh, is really important to your own personal uh, driver development. I mean, I've been fortunate that I think most years, yeah, I think almost every year, really, I've I've been in cars. I've, I've always had a teammate who, who's, you know, pushed me and, and been competitive, um, you know, I, I don't think, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think through, through all the years, but I, I don't think I ever had a teammate who I was just way quicker than. Uh, for the most part, I had teammates who were quicker than me. Yeah, that's, that's uh, not a bad and, thing, though. Yeah, keep you pushing. And, yeah, and I, was, and I was learning from them in, the, in those early years. But, yeah, it's, it's good because, I mean, if you have a teammate that you're always beating, um, and, again, uh, in, in other junior categories, you can have more than one teammate. In my yep. past four, four, uh, well, five years of car racing, I only had, one teammate so you're just yes. comparing to one driver but uh, if you're just going around and 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 beating them you know not being able to learn and not even in maybe just one corner where where they're going quicker than you you're not really being pushed you're you're you're, you're kind of can afford to just take your foot off the gas you not in a literal sense don't you? exactly yeah that's the perfect word you can get complacent and i think in motorsport uh, especially at the top level complacency is probably one of your uh, your worst enemies yeah. as soon as you start to feel complacent and start and stop pushing that's when uh, you're at risk of uh, being overtaken <laughs> literally <laughs> oh i know i know now obviously you were gearing up for your first you know formula one debut at melbourne you, you've arrived at the circuit and obviously it's been taken away from you how are you sort of preparing to keep yourself in the best possible shape mentally physically um, you know, and what sort of training do you do in the lead up to this uh, this imminent debut that you're going to have? So yeah, I mean, uh, basically, as soon as we uh, we found out that Melbourne was going to go ahead, uh, I came back to Canada here at my parents' house in Toronto yep. as uh, as soon as I could. <clears throat> uh, obviously, there's a lot of unknowns when we're going to go back to racing. There's, there still is some unknowns, but yep. uh, I I've just kind of been approaching it with my team as okay, it's an extended preseason. It's not, uh, it's not an extra holiday we have no, here. No, no. It's, uh, it, it's, it's just a longer preseason training. So uh, a lot of physical training, obviously. Um, yeah, quite fortunate. My, my parents have a home gym here, here so I've been making quite a lot of use of that. Um, as I said at, at the beginning, I have the home sim uh, as well, which I've really gotten into. And, uh, you know, my coaches have always wanted me to, to get into it as a, you know, to use it consistently as a proper training tool. Uh, you know, I was always quite skeptical of it and a lot of it is because like i just personally didn't really want to make the time for it because it's, it's already so busy with yeah, your regular imagine. commitments that adding something else but you know I, I've, I've really been enjoying it much more than, than i thought and i've been finding it much more uh useful in terms of like the 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 mental side of things okay the driving side it's a home sim and obviously different games have different physics and yeah. maybe they're not so realistic but the mental aspect i mean some of these races like there it's it's even more intense than what you feel in, in real life and so many of the mental feelings are are the same and they carry over so it's using it as an opportunity to try and keep sharp in that regard but also try and work on some some things that i i, I know i would need to work on before going into my first season of formula one it's pretty interesting to see what people's uh, schedules are like at the moment because I can see Daniel Ricciardo, I've been following him on. He's out in the farm somewhere in, in Australia. Like he's got cows in the background. He's sort yeah. of, you know, he's throwing and doing these fun stunts. But obviously, you guys like to have a bit of fun off the track. But as soon as obviously you get back to that race mode, it gets very, very, uh, very serious again. What sort of advice could you give to newcomers looking to get into the sport? So I would say, just as a general thing, I, I think like with any to think in life, whatever you decide to put your mind to, you you first and foremost have to be really passionate about what you do because, you know, I, I think especially in motorsport that, uh, you know, I think that there's a very 
common saying in, in motorsport. Well, I, I think it's common because I've heard of, heard it a lot. Like, you know, there's many more lows than highs, but oh, you know, the high, bad. the highs, the highs is kind of what keeps you know it's all worth it. For it's the like highs a drug almost. So, it's like you yeah, know, like it's intensity. It, it, exactly, and uh, you know, because of the those lows, you know, the any setbacks in their life can be you know very difficult to deal with. And I think when you're really passionate about something, uh, you know, in my case, I'm really passionate about motorsport, and you know, kind of holding on to that. Pa- that passion kind of gets you through those difficult moments uh, and allows you to kind of dig deep, you know, those days when you're not really motivated to, to do something, you know, pushes you to be able to do it. Uh, a day where you've had a bad race uh, and you say, you know what, you know, I don't want to go do my debrief because I'm, yeah. I'm uh, pissed off or whatever. No, that's when, no, you have to go bow and even be more detailed. Okay, well, why were we, why were we slow? Why do we put ourselves in that improved. position? So, yeah, yeah. So, so I think, yeah, the first thing is, is just the, the passion. You really have to make sure it's, if you want to pursue it at the highest level, it's, that it is something that you love. And then, yeah, just in general, hard, hard work, hard work, hard work. I mean, that, that was kind of a, a theme for, for me, again, especially starting, starting so late and maybe not being able to develop a lot of the, let's say, natural talent from just yep. starting at, at such a young age i'm not going to say i didn't have natural talent no, no. because i i, I did take to it quite quickly. Yeah. but uh but it but it came much much slower to me so you know yeah having that hard work and uh you know, there's another famous saying I'm, I'm gonna say here it says hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard yeah so that's, that's, that's true like that's, you can see with so many people across any uh, any category whether it's any sporting category um you can still see it that hard work does pay off for sure yeah so yeah i would say those are the Those are the two big things for me. Now it's time for The Punt, brought to you by 2-7 Design, your go-to for all motorsport-specific graphic design, specialising in creating a new and unique look for your race car. We've got a segment. It's called The Punt. So it's basically thinking back to a memory. It could be from your early karting days where you've just unloaded someone off the track. Is there, a, is there a time in your, in your career where you're like, you know what, this guy's just honestly just frustrated me and I have to just move him out of the way? Can you think of something? Uh, to be honest, I mean, uh, I'm not really sure I've ever done it like properly and intentionally. I mean, for sure I've accidentally taken people out. but Has someone given it to you? Has someone like you like, far out, I owe this guy next time I race him? Uh, I think I've – I'm pretty sure it's happened to me before, to be honest. Uh, oh, the karting days were such a long time ago. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think one race in Homestead, I, I think I was deliberately taken out. I don't remember who it was. Uh, I think I might have done a very uh, uh, optimistic lunge on him, and it didn't work out so well for him. And I, yeah, I think the next lap, he just came back and, and, and sent me off. But uh, That's yeah, right. I, I mean, to, to be uh, for the most part, I, mean, I try and race clean. I mean, I'm very no, of course, in, yeah. in, in, in karting, I was known as being a very, very late breaker. Uh, so I, I, I sent my fair share of lunges. Uh, but yeah, n- nothing ever, uh, ever malicious, let's say. No, that's good. We, we like to finish up on a motorsport quiz. So there's nine okay. questions. It's from a whole range of different uh, different categories. So we'll just try our luck here. Oh, my um, motorsport trivia is not so good. <laughs> just be oh, real. mate. There's nine questions and the bottom is two. So like you shouldn't okay. be able to get more than two. The youngest Formula One winner? Uh, Verstappen. Yep, so we're already on one. It's a good start. How many World Karting Championships has David Foray won? So not World Cups, it's just World Championships. Uh, World Championships. Okay, so 10. <laughs> he's, he's won four and he's won about three World Cups. He's won a lot of okay. races. Okay. In which country is the karting track Sano? Italy. Yep. What racing number did Jeff Gordon make famous during his NASCAR career? 
Oh, I'm not a NASCAR guy. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna no. Say, I, I'm going to say uh, 88. Like, I know they like their double numbers. That's no? Dale Earnhardt Jr., I'm pretty sure. Oh. <laughs> He's number 24. Jeff Gordon, 24. <laughs> um, when did the first Indy 500 take place? It's over 100 years ago. Over 100. I was going to say in the early 1920s. So let's say 1912. 1911. This one's going to be hard for you. How many have you heard of the track Bathurst in Australia? Yes. Okay, so it's uh, the question is how many Bathurst 1000s did Peter Brock win? So he's the king of the mountain, he's basically the Lewis Hamilton, the Michael Schumacher of our sport. Okay, he's gonna have to have a stab, stab in the dark. How many Bathurst 1000s did he win? Eight, nine. But you, honestly, you're, not, you're doing good here. I'm too. not bad. Not bad for complete shots in the dark here. Um, which driver? Who is the only driver to win the Triple Crown in motorsport? So the Le Mans 24 Hour, the Monaco Grand Prix, and uh, the Indy 500. Oh my God, I'm gonna look like a fool for saying this wrong. But it, isn't it? Uh, is it Brabham? No. Uh, Graham Hill. So I, I was going to say that that was the segment. I was like, no, not Brabham. Oh, I was gonna, I, I was mate, like, I've googled these questions. I've yeah, googled oh them. God. I don't know where they are. Now, I'm hoping this one, back to Formula 1, who did Michael Schumacher debut for? It was Benetton, no? Jordan. He did oh, one no. race. <laughs> that's a bit, <laughs> I tell you, my bit. Formula 1 history is, uh, is not so good. <laughs> okay, I we're only started finish following on. this sport in my teenage years. Oh, I got to get no. some slack here. <laughs> no, this one you can't miss. Which track has the famous corner, Ascari? Surely not. Um, no, that's an easy one. That's no. an answer. <laughs> oh no, no, you've got it, you've got it. So we got we got Max, we got uh, Sano, the uh, Italy track, and we, so we got, we got three got, points. Uh, you got three. We're not last. Okay, so, so we're not last. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> hey mate, look, thank you very much for uh, for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Obviously, all the best for the upcoming Formula One season when it does take place, and obviously for your debut. And uh, like I said, from all our Australian fans, thanks so much. No worries. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Hey mate. Take care, all right? See you later. Yeah, take care. All right, well, big thanks to uh, Nicholas Latifi, the Williams Formula One driver. Um, obviously, it's really exciting to see these guys progress through. I did used to, uh, to see him at the kart track. Um, and now, obviously, now you're going to be watching in the biggest races in the world. So really great to see uh, how these guys have progressed through some of the challenges, you know, some of the guys they look up to still. Um, and like I said, we really appreciate these guys giving back some of their time so that the kart racers all around the world uh, can listen in, try and learn, and because these are the sort of guys you look up to as well. So if you want to make that uh, that end goal of Formula One or a racing career, it's really important you try and listen to these guys' advice because um, you can learn a lot from it. Next time on Stopping Paint, we chat with Le Mans and Daytona Endurance winner Jordan Taylor. Possibly the funniest driver in world motorsport with his alter ego Rodney Sandstorm, Jordan discusses the pressure of following his father's footsteps, how Rodney Sandstorm became the world sensation and his outlook on GT racing. Make sure you tune in to our social channels on Instagram to never miss an episode. Big thanks to Tom Evans for his production work in putting these together.